This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime at our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. It's good to have you here uh, and joining us. And it's always good to be together and to worship God together, to study his word together. And what I'd like to talk about is God is good. God is great. (laughs) He's good, but he is great. He's awesome. He's fantastic. Have you ever heard the term, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And lots of times you have a flower. Now this is not the normal kind of flower that you would use, but people are going to say, he loves me, Uh, he loves me not. Oh, he loves me. Oh, he loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. And he loves me not. And you go through all this whole routine to find out if someone loves you or not. I don't know if you've ever done that or not, but that was something we did when we were kids. You know, and there was another thing we did. And we would use an apple. And you twist it. He loves me. Or she loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. Oh, she loves me. When the sin breaks, that's... But the truth of it is, and I think we all need to know that, is that, I'm going to be honest with you, I do not believe in flowers to predict whether someone loves me. I don't believe in apples to predict whether someone loves me. I don't, I don't believe in those things. I believe in God. And I believe that his love is everlasting and his love is eternal because he is good and he is great. He is fantastic. He absolutely is. Now I was reading oh, some time ago about, you know, Charles Spurgeon and uh, Joseph Parker both had churches in London back in the 19th century. And on one occasion, Parker commented on the poor condition of children admitted to Spurgeon, you know, the other pastor, Spurgeon's orphanage. It was reported to Spurgeon, however, that Parker had criticized the orphanage itself, which he had not. So Spurgeon, listen to a little tidbit of gossip, he blasted Parker the next week from the pulpit. The attack was printed in a newspaper and became the talk of the town. People flocked to Parker's church the next Sunday to hear his rebuttal. What was he going to say? And this is what Parker said. I understand Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today. He's out of town. And this is a Sunday that they used to take an offering for the orphanage. And I suggest that we take a love offering here for those orphans since he's not there to do it. The crowd was delighted. The ushers had to empty the collection plates three times. Normally one time would handle it. Later that week, there was a knock at Parker's study. It was Spurgeon. You know, Parker, you have practiced grace on me. You have given me not what I deserved, but you have given me what I needed. And that's just like Jesus. 
And I want to challenge you because God is good and God is great. And he practices grace on us. God's enabling power, not what we deserve, but what we need. Let us allow God's goodness and his greatness to flow through us. And let us practice grace on one another. Let's, you know, bless those who curse us. Pray for those that despitefully use us. Turn the other cheek. Let's see if we can become more and more and more like our Savior, whose name is Jesus. In the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace, and we understand that grace, unmerited favor, grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. But the best biblical definition is God's enabling power. For the grace of God, God's enabling power has been revealed. God's enabling power, his riches at Christ's expense, his unmerited favor, it says, has been revealed. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. So when God's goodness and his greatness and his grace, his enabling power has been revealed, people come to know Jesus in a personal way as their Savior, as their Lord, and as their King. Verse 12 says, And we are instructed to turn from godless living. That don't reveal nothing good. We are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with self-control, right conduct, and devotion to God. And we can do this only by God's enabling power. We can live this kind of a, a life by God's enabling power. He enables us to live with devotion to God. He enables us to live with right conduct. He enables us to live with self-control. He enables us to live in this, this world in a God-honoring way. He enables us by his grace. And his grace has been revealed. And he says, bringing salvation to all people. When God's enabling power has been revealed, it brings salvation to all people. You know any people? You know, to the left of you, right of you, front of you, behind you, friends, you know, neighbors, family, you know, revealing salvation. His grace has been revealed and it brings salvation to all people. Anyhow, picking back up in verse 13, it says, While we look forward to that wonderful event when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. We're looking forward to that day when he reveals himself to us. Verse 14, he gave his life. Jesus gave his life to free us. This is talking about his goodness and his greatness. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's what we know. He came, he died on a cross to free us from our sins. He paid for it all. He rose again on the third day, you know, bringing salvation to you and to me and all of our loved ones. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin and to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed and doing what is right. He gives us the desire, the Bible tells us, he gives us the desire to please him, and then he empowers us. He gives us the power to live in such a way that pleases him by his grace, by his enabling power. 
Romans chapter 5 verse 20, it says, where sin abounded, and the word abound means increase. Wherever sin increases, <laughs> grace, God's enabling power, increases much more. You will never find a place on this earth where God's grace will not increase more than the sin that's released in that area. God's enabling power, his grace, abounds more than any sin. That's what he tells us. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Interesting. Craman uh, Keith, treasury, treasurer of Billy Graham Association, and Billy Graham's lifelong friend, was on the elevator with Billy Graham when another man recognized the evangelist. You're Billy Graham, aren't you? He asked. Yes, Graham said. Well, the man replied, you are truly a great man. No, I'm not a great man. I just have a great message, responded Graham. What a way to answer that. He says, I'm really not a great man, but I've got a great message. And you and I have got a great message. And you know what it's called. We've heard it all of our life where Jesus said, go into all the earth and preach the gospel, which means what? Good news. You know, it's really easy to declare good news. Hey, everything down there at the car dealer is free. <laughs> everything at such and such is all free, <laughs> you know. You know, I'm, when there's good news, everybody's looking forward to hearing the good news. And we've got some good news to talk about. God's enabling power that brings salvation and provides the things that we have need of. Now, here's an interesting uh, article I had come across, oh, quite a few years ago, as a matter of fact. Uh, Fiorello LaGuardia was the mayor of New York City during the worst days of the Great Depression. Great Depression? We can understand a little bit about that. During the worst days of the Great Depression, he was the mayor. And during the, the World War II, he was known as the Little Flower, Mr. LaGuardia. He was known as a Little Flower because he was only five foot four, and he always wore a little carnation in his lapel. He was a colorful character who used to ride the New York City fire trucks. He raided the speakeasies with the police department while he was a mayor, and he would take the entire orphanages to a baseball game on a spur of a moment. And whenever the New York newspaper were on strike, he would go on the radio and he would read the Sunday funnies to the kids. Interesting kind of a guy. One bitterly cold night in January 1935, the mayor turned up at a night court that served the poorest ward of the city. LaGuardia dismissed the judge for the evening, and he took over the bench himself. And within a few moments, a tattered old woman was brought before him, charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told Mr. LaGuardia that her daughter's husband had deserted her, and her daughter was sick, and her two children were starving. But the shopkeeper, from whom the bread was stolen, refused to drop the charges. 
It's a real bad day for you, Your Honor. The man, the man told the mayor, she's got to be punished, punished to teach the other people around here a lesson. LaGuardia sighed. He turned toward the woman and said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. $10 or 10 days in jail. But even as he pronounced the sentence, the mayor was already reaching into his pocket and he extracted a bill and he tossed it into his famous sombrero hat saying, here is the $10 fine. I'm paying it, which I now remit it. She don't know it. And furthermore, I am going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. So the following day, the New York City newspaper reported $47.50 was turned over to the bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. 50 cents of that amount being contributed was by the red-faced grocery store owner. While some 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations, and the New York City police, each of whom had just paid 50 cents for the privilege of doing so, they all gave the mayor a standing ovation. What an object lesson for grace. God's enabling power where a woman could not even feed a little bit of bread to her grandchildren and all of a sudden her crime was forgiven, her, her debt was paid, and there was an abundance of resources given to her so she could feed her grandchildren for, for many, many days and weeks ahead. What a wonderful demonstration, a lesson of God's enabling power of his grace. Well, all those people there who gave the standing ovation, they recognized that the judge was great. Yet God's goodness and grace is even greater than Mr. LaGuardia's. His goodness extends to you and to me, and his greatness extends to us. That's why Jesus came. That's why he took the beating. That's why he went to the cross, paid for all of our sins. He paid it and let us go. Because he loves us. Because he's crazy about us, I'm telling you. He loves you. And he's got a face. And it's called heaven prepared for us one day where we shall all gather around with our loved ones who've gone on before us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise. Eh, you were mostly foolish. But few of you were wise in the world's eyes. Few of you were powerful. Now, you were weak and said, few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy. Only few. Most were poor. When God called you, that's what he says. Few of you were wise. Few of you were powerful. And few of you were wealthy. There was a few. Verse 27 says, instead, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And it says in verse 28, 
And God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all. God chose the despised, those who, who were counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. See, it's all by his enabling power. It's all by his grace, you see, that anything can really be accomplished here. Verse 29 says, so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God wants us to understand that he is our provider. He is our forgiver and our supplier and our, our savior and everything that we need. He wants us to know that he is it. And that we really can't do life very well without him. That's what he's trying to explain to us. See, God's goodness and greatness enables him to do amazing things through weak, foolish, poor, despised men who are counted as nothing. His enabling power allows him to use a weak vessel such as me, such as you, to accomplish miraculous things. God's goodness and his greatness allows him to use you and us all, in a world like we're living in right now, he can use you to impact other people's lives for the good. Listen to what it says here in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boasts about this, that he understands and knows me. That's what God said. If someone's going to boast, let them boast that they understand me, God said. Let them, under, let them boast about that they know me and they understand a lot about me. Do you know about the goodness of God? Do you know and understand about his greatness? Do you have a relationship with him? That's what you can boast about. You can brag about the law. Well, I know someone who knows someone who knows someone who knows someone who knows someone who's famous. I'm going to tell you, you can know personally, face to face, no mask, and you can touch him. Almighty God, he loves you. He's crazy about you. That's just the truth of it. Let me read verse 24 again. But let him who boasts, boasts about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness and, and justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. He says he delights in kindness. God delights in justice. And I don't care what kind of injustice you're involved with, God hates it. He does not delight in injustice of any kind. He says, I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Romans chapter 11 verse 33 says, what a wonderful God we have. I don't know about you, but I declare that's the truth. What a wonderful God we have. And you, as you're in your homes, wherever you might be, you might be, Driving down the road. Well, you shouldn't be driving down the road watching this, I don't think, but you could be listening to it maybe. But do you declare the same thing? Oh, what a wonderful God we have. You think about that right now. Maybe in just your own house, amongst your own family, you can make that declaration. What a wonderful God we have. 
What a wonderful God. He is good and he is great. Even in the Great Depression, even during the World War II, even during the coronavirus, God is great and God is good. Absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt. His goodness and his mercy follow us all the days of our life, no matter where we go, what we go through, what kind of pandemic we're exposed to. God, his mercy and his grace, he follow us all the days of our life. It says here in Romans 11, 33, what a wonderful God we have. How great are his riches and wisdom and knowledge. Now Napoleon, he once said, greatness is nothing unless it is lasting. Greatness is nothing unless it is lasting, so says Napoleon. But God is great, and the Bible tells us this, with an everlasting greatness. God has been great. He is great now, and his greatness will go on throughout all eternity. His great love for you, and his provision for you, and taking care of you, and he's good. 100% good. That's just who God is. I don't know if you know him like I know him, but he's good. No matter what, he's good. He's got some fantastic plans yet to come for us all. Let me read this again so we can move on. Romans eleven thirty three says, Oh, what a wonderful God we have. How great are his riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his methods. It's impossible for us to understand all of it. That's why we got to trust in the Lord. As Proverbs 3 tells us, with all of our heart, lean not on our own understanding and all of our ways acknowledge him and he'll direct our path. That's his goodness and his greatness of directing our path as we trust him. Even if we can't understand what in the world's going on, we are perplexed. We don't understand it all. But he says we can trust him. He's going to take care of you. That's just the truth of it. It says, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his methods. Verse 34 says... For who can know what the Lord is thinking? We get a better insight to what he's thinking as we spend more time in his book and we learn his ways and we learn his thoughts. It says, for who can know what the Lord is thinking? Who knows enough to be his counselor? None of us can counsel God. Some people try to, well, God do this and God do that. We go to God with great humility. Almighty God. You say we could come boldly to your throne and we could ask. And we're asking for your help in our times of need. Verse 35 says, and who could ever give him so much that he would have to pay it back? Ah, nobody. Verse 36, for everything comes from him. He is good and he is great. For everything comes from him. Everything exists by his power and is intended for his glory, for his honor. To him be glory and honor evermore. Evermore. That's 100%. Amen, he says. And then in the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 12, it says, and this is in the NIV, International Version, it says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been, what's that say, those next two words? forcefully advancing. God's kingdom is on the move and it's forcefully advancing and forgiving people and his kingdom's moving and forgiving and cleansing and declaring the freedom that he has provided. His kingdom has never been hindered, never been slowed down, never been stopped. 
He says here, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men, although they may be weak in the world's eyes, and forceful men will lay hold of his kingdom. By God's goodness and his greatness, men are forceful and they'll lay hold of God and they'll lay hold of his kingdom and his kingdom's on the move. That's his grace, his enabling power. Not that men are forceful, but God is on the move and you and I can grab a hold of that movement and be pulled into it and, and advance his kingdom. God's kingdom is just right on time. He's doing exactly what he wants to do and he has a purpose and a plan in mind, whether we totally understand it or not. You know, God's greatness allows him, and you think about it, to use weak vessels such as you, such as me. God's greatness and his goodness allows him to use weak vessels such as us to accomplish great things. Do you believe that God can do great things through your life, in your life, and through your life? He surely can. And he can use you to give hope to somebody, to nudge someone just a little bit closer to God. One day they'll thank you for taking the time to nudge them just a little bit closer to God where they will experience the salvation and the forgiveness and understand how much God loves them and the fears will dissipate, depart from them because you and I just nudge them just a little bit closer to God. You and I, we can do that. That's what he tells us. You know, my dad, I was looking for him before I got here, and I couldn't find him. My dad, back when I was a little boy, had a little pair of pliers about this long, just little tiny old things, and he carried them in his pocket as long as I can remember. And then once my dad kicked off his shoes and went sliding down in the streets to go in his sock feet, those pair of pliers became mine. And every once in a while I find them in my drawer or something, in a pocket or something somewhere, they're just a tiny pair of pliers. They're just a tiny thing compared to the big Leathermans we have nowadays. But you know what? My dad, who taught automotives in a vocational school, part of the high school, my dad was always stopping on the side of the road or in a parking lot somewhere at a grocery store. He was always helping somebody get their car started. And or get it running again, you know, get them home. And many times I called him from Connecticut as a pastor, say, Dad, I'm stuck on the side of the road. I got some problems. I never, ever was stranded for long. He would always get me going just by talking to me on the telephone. We have cell phones. I had to walk somewhere to a pay phone. And a lot of people who used to come here and they might be with Jesus now, a lot who still come here would say, Pastor Ron, do you know anything about cars? And I'd say, well, tell me what's going on. And I call up my dad. Hey, Dad, this is what's going on. And he said, well, what model? What make? And I'd tell him. And he said, well, you need to do this, this, and this. And I'd give advice. I'm going to tell you, my dad's skill, using this cheap little old pair of pliers, he could always get somebody's car running. It was miraculous. But I'm going to tell you, if God's even better at that. His strength and his might and his wisdom allows him to use Foolish, little weak tools like you and I to do great, astonishing kinds of things. That's who God is. He is good and he is great, I tell you. You know, leaders in God's kingdom are not the ones that the world would choose. 
God chooses the foolish and the weak things of this world, the things that are really count as nothing pretty much, you know, but God chooses that. It says in the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 8, Stephen, a man full of God's grace, remember what God's grace was? His enabling power. It says, Stephen, who a man full of God's grace and power performed amazing, what's that say? Miracles. Stephen performed amazing miracles and signs among the people because he was full of God's grace and power. And God wants to fill you with his grace, which is his enabling power that you and I can perform amazing miracles and signs among the people. Not to entertain. It's not a show. It's not to earn money. It's only to reveal that God loves people. That they would understand how much he loves them and what he has prepared and in store for us all one day. That's what he's talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 it says, dear brothers and sisters, when I, this is the Apostle Paul, he says, when I first came to you, I didn't use lofty words and brilliant ideas to tell you God's message. Nope. Didn't use lofty words and big ideas to tell you God's message. For I decided to concentrate. I decided to focus only on Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. When I came, I was telling you about Jesus, about how much he loved you and how he went to the cross to pay for your sins and then how he rose from That's what I came to tell you. We weren't going to have debates about theology and all kinds of isms and schisms and all the things that people can debate and argue about. The Apostle Paul said, I came to tell you one thing, to tell you God's message, to concentrate only on Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. That's where you see his goodness. And that's where you see his greatness demonstrated. And then it says in verse 3, I came to you in weakness. This is what Paul said. I came to you in weakness with this message. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very, what's that say? Plain. Very plain. And you know, back in those days, a lot of people would eat what they would call Plain bread, you know, that seems pretty good when you're hungry, seems real good when you're dying of starvation. Plain bread, nothing really spectacular, nothing spread on it, not even a sandwich, just a piece of plain bread. You can sustain life with some bread. But he says here, he says, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain, but it brought life. God's message, the good news, it brings life because we all need a Savior. We all need to be forgiven. We all need to be loved by the Almighty. And I think we know it even now more than ever, we need a touch. We need to be able to, to feel the breath of God upon us. We need to feel him hug us and care for us and assure us it's going to be okay. And to give us the assurance that we're going to see all of our loved ones who have had have trusted in Christ, we're going to be together again. This great, fantastic family reunion out of this world, man. Fantastic. Wonderful. 
Paul goes on to say here, he said, I did not, and halfway down in verse 4, I did not use wise and persuasive speeches, but the Holy Spirit was powerful among you. Did you know that powerful electricity can flow through a weak wire? Just a little old cheap aluminum wire. Powerful electricity can flow through that thing. It may not be the most expensive and the heaviest gauge of copper, but powerful electricity can flow through a weak wire. Powerful electricity can actually flow through a limb of a tree if it's wet, if it's a green one. You, you can get electricity to flow through there, and God specializes in his enabling power. It can flow and perform amazing things in people's lives, provided that we are surrendered to him and we love him and we yield to him our lives God's on the move and he's looking for men and women who just yield their life their all, their past, their present and their future to him he says here in verse 5 I did this so that you might trust the power of God rather than trust human wisdom human wisdom often leaves God out of the equation. And we need God. You remember? What happens when you take good and you, you take God out of it? The G-O-O-D. And you take G-O-D out of it, you got one big zero. It's not much to it anymore when you take God out of the good. At one time, J. Wilbur Chapman experienced a great sorrow that nearly shook his faith. In addition, his finances were almost depleted just when it was necessary for him to take a long trip to the western United States. One of the elders of his church, he was a pastor, who was a wealthy banker, came to his home to offer a word of comfort and encouragement. And as he left, he slipped a piece of paper into the pastor's hand. Chapman looked at it and was surprised to find that it was a check. Y'all know what a check is, right? I told Susan we might do this tonight. Let me see what, it, what was it he did. He says, Chapman looked at it and was surprised to find that it was a check made out to him and it was signed by his rich friend. But the figures to indicate the amount of the gift, they were missing. And I was assured by my wife that if we sign these checks and let you fill in the amount, first one will bounce, you know. But I'm going to tell you something. This banker, he filled out a, a check, signed it, and gave it to the pastor. This is absolutely amazing. Did you really mean to give me a signed blank check, he asked. Yes, said the man. I didn't know how much you needed. And I wanted to be sure that you'd have enough. Later, Chapman commented, while I never had to use that check, it gave me a secure feeling to know that thousands of dollars were literally at my disposal. And I'm going to tell you something. God has given you a signed check for you to fill it out. And it gives us the confidence that we can do whatever he's called us to do and go through whatever we need to go through because he's going to be there. Here's a check. And you can get it, pick it up your own self today, tonight. 
Even if the banks are closed, you can pick this up. It's already been signed in red. It's in Philippians 4.19. Paul talks about it and he says, This same God, this same God who takes care of me. And did God take care of Paul? Absolutely. Amazing. Miraculously. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs. Now what percentage is all? 100%. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. In our relationship with Jesus, all that we'll ever need, that's where it's been signed in red. Jesus Christ has already signed it, didn't pay for it. He signed it, already paid for it. I'm going to provide all your needs according to my riches in glory, all my, my riches in heaven through what I did on the cross for you. He's already promised that. He signed a check. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't have the means to do it, but he has the means to sign that check and give it to every one of us. And we can claim and receive the forgiveness that we need and mercy and the, the, the departure of guilt and condemnation. We have the ability to go to God and receive whatever it is, our daily bed, bread, our, 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 our provisions, whatever they might be. My God, it says there in Philippians 4.19, shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. But you need to have a relationship with Christ Jesus. That's so important that we maintain that. Provisions through God's great goodness. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, So let us, you and me, so let us come boldly, not timidly, not sheepishly, but let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. To the throne. You don't have to tippy-toe in there. It says, let you and me come boldly to the throne room. That's like bursting into the president's number one office, you know. But more importantly, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace, his enabling power to help us when we need it. Not that he's going to go, well, one day, you know, about 10 years from now, I'll provide that for you. He says he'll provide what we have need of when we need it, that's that, that's that signed check. And he said, you can come boldly. You don't have to be timid about this. I want to bless you. I want to take care of my kids. What parent don't want to take care of their kids? You love them. You do anything for them. Up to your very life, if possible. And that's what he's talking about here. So let me and let you come boldly to the throne of our gracious, his enabling power, our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace. Mercy is not receiving the bad that we deserved and grace is receiving all the provisions and all the blessings that we didn't. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it. And I think there's a lot of us who need some help right now and he's available to help you right now. He's good and he is great. And he loves you and he's crazy about you. And he'll help you if you'll just ask him. If you'll just let him, he'll help you. Whatever it is you're going through, he'll help you. Trust in him with all your heart. 
Don't lean. Don't trust in your own understanding, but trust him who loves you and is crazy about you. He's got a plan for your life. That's the truth of it. You know, for skiers, it's really not a problem. Anybody here ski? Anybody you out there? Do y'all ever ski? (laughs) I know some of you even do a little snowboarding out there. But it's not a problem when you ski or you snowboard going downhill. You can pick up, you know, speed and, and action and thrills and jumps and all kinds of crazy things out there. It's fantastic going downhill. Going back uphill is the problem. And there's a new ski craze that was introduced to North America, and it was called ski sailing. And it enables a skier with the aid of a sail or a parachute-type device to ski uphill and have control. Absolutely amazing, you know. Does, Does your path ever seem like it's going uphill? There's difficulties, maybe even during this coronavirus right now, there might be some things that seems like it's just all uphill. And, and going downhill is easy, but going uphill, it's difficult, very difficult, you know. Are you learning to use the winds of God? Like people have learned to use a parachute and these old kite kinds of things, you know, and uh, they were able to harness the wind and it pulled them up the, the ski slopes? It's absolutely amazing. I've seen them out on the ocean. Same thing. They get this big old kite up there and it's pulling them. They're ripping across the ocean on their surfboard and just zipping around. And, and the, the wind is moving them and carrying them over these big giant waves. Up, guys who are skiing up the ski slopes. Amazing kinds of stuff. You know, if you can learn to harness the winds of God to turn what is drudgery you know, apart from God, into something that is absolute delight. You see them guys using them sails and off to pull them up the ski slopes? They're having a blast. And when you and I access and harness the Holy Spirit, that's what the Bible's talking about. This wind of God is the Holy Spirit. It's like a sail, and you learn to catch the winds of God, but you got to hoist your sails. you got to hoist your sails up you know, to catch the wind. And it's pretty much a surrendered life. And you hoist your sails and you catch the wind of God and he can blow you uphill. And you can handle all those big old high waves out on the ocean there, white capping, once you access and harness the winds. But I'm talking about harnessing the winds of God. He has poured his Holy Spirit out to empower us to do which others think is impossible. But it is possible with God. One of God's promises is, it's in the book of Isaiah, it says, and they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. That's what the Bible says. We, you and I, will mount up with wings like eagles. We don't have no wings. But we'll access the wind of God. His Holy Spirit will empower us, is what he's talking about. Years ago, This article I came across says, My father coached a team of eight-year-olds, and he had a few excellent players, and some who just couldn't get the hang of the game. Dad's team didn't win once all season, but in the last inning of the last game, his team was only down by a run, one run. And there was one boy who had never been able to hit the ball or catch it. 
with two ounce, it was his turn to bat. And he surprised the entire world because he got a single. <laughs> and the next batter who was the team slugger. Finally, dad's players might just win a game. And the slugger connected. And as the boy who hit the single ran to second, he saw the ball that had just been hit coming toward him. Not so certain of the ball game's rules, he jumped up and caught it. Final out. Dad's team lost. Quickly, my father told his team, hey, cheer, cheer, cheer. And the boy beamed. It never had occurred to him that he lost the game. All he knew was that he had hit the ball and he had caught a ball. Both for the very first time in his life. And his parents later thanked my dad. Their child had never gotten in a game before that season. We never told the boy exactly what had happened. We didn't want to ruin it for him. Until this day, I'm proud of what my father did that afternoon. I'll tell you something. Sometimes it's a whole lot more important than just winning the game. They changed a little boy's life that day. And being led by the Spirit of Almighty God, when His wind begins to blow, He enables us to do the impossible. And there's a whole lot more than just winning a game sometimes. It's just being led by the Spirit of God because He's good. And that little boy will tell you how good God was. He got to hit the ball. He got to run the bases. He got to catch a ball. And everybody cheered him on. He didn't really understand all what was going on, but he had a blast. I'm going to tell you, God's a whole lot like that. He loves us and he cares about us and he, he wants us to enjoy this life that he's given us. But this ain't nothing compared to what he's got in store. One day when we kick his old shoes off and go sliding down them streets of gold in that heavenly city that he has prepared for us. That's for sure. David Dunn in his book entitled Giving Yourself Away, he tells of a lesson he learned from a bus driver whom he once had met. Riding the bus this day, Dunn noticed that the driver, who was exceptionally cheerful in every imaginable circumstance, there was a kind and a happy word from him for everyone who stepped on the bus, and again for everyone who stepped off of the bus. As he was about to get off the bus, Dunn told the driver that he was the happiest bus driver that he had ever seen and wondered what the reason was. Well, the driver said, to be honest, I read in the paper a few months ago about a man who died and he left a lot of money to a bus driver who was nice to him. So I thought maybe I would try it myself. But now... I enjoyed myself so much being nice to people that I don't care whether anybody ever leaves me any money or not. And I'm going to tell you something. As we become like Jesus, it's just out of this world. It's so fantastic living with him, living like him, doing things that he would do, you know, partnering up with Christ. He is alive. 
And he wants us to join him and, and to hang out with him. He's crazy about us. And I'll tell you, as we begin to live like him, it makes people scratch their head and say, well, what are you doing that for? Why did you give me that? Why did you say those nice things to me? Why did you help me? Why are you acting like that? And you can say, well, that's, that's what me and Jesus do, <laughs> you know. And it's fun. It's, it's living life to the fullness, you know, when we start living a life really close to Jesus. Well, I just got another passage. Well, I'm just going to read in Psalms 104 the passages that are found there. Just going to read them to you and listen, and then we're going to close. It's found in Psalms 104, looking at verse 1. It says, praise the Lord, praise him. You know, that's not complicated to do. From the time the sun rises in the morning until it sets, his name is worthy to be praised, to declare his deeds among the people. Tell him how much you love him, how crazy you are about him. Thanking him for the blue sky and the white fluffy clouds and the green grass and the dandelions that me and Susan's been eating, you know. All kinds of awesome things we can praise God for. It says, praise the Lord, I tell myself. Oh, Lord, my God, how great you are. You are robed with honor and with majesty. You are dressed in a robe of light. Oh, how great he is. He is dressed in a robe of light. You stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens. Have you seen the stars recently? If not, maybe tonight, just take a step outside for just a little bit and take a, a you know, glance at the heavens and all those stars. If you can see the Big Dipper where it's pointing toward that North Star, it's constant and never moves. And you see different constellations that God put in their place out there. Oh, it's just beautiful. It's wonderful. It says in verse 2, You, O oh God, are dressed in a robe of life. You stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens. You lay out the rafters of your home in the rain clouds. You make the clouds your chariots. You ride upon the wind, wings of the wind. The winds are your messengers. Flames of fire are your servants. You place the world. You placed the world on its foundation so it would never be moved. You clothed the earth with floods of water, water that covered even the mountains. At the sound of your rebuke, the water fled. At the sound of your thunder, it fled away. Mountains rose and valleys sank to the level you decreed. Then you set a firm boundary for the seas. God went out there and drew a place in the sand and said, See, don't cross over here. This is as far as you can go. Verse 9, then you set a firm boundary for the seas so they would never again cover the earth. You make the springs pour water into the ravines so streams gush down from the mountains. They provide water for all the animals and the wild donkeys quench their thirst and the birds nest beside the streams and sing among the branches of the trees. Have you heard the birds sing recently? Well, we hear them every morning. We hear them every night. Some of them, I think, must be dreaming because they start whistling in the middle of the night. And I think they just had a dream or something or another. It says, the birds nest beside the streams and sing among the branches of the trees. You send rain on the mountains from your heavenly home and you fill the earth with the fruit of your labor. You cause grass to grow for the cattle. You cause plants to grow for people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth. Wine to make them glad olive oil as lotion for their skin and bread to give them strength. The trees of the Lord are well cared for. The cedars of Lebanon, 
that he planted. There the birds make their nests and the storks make their homes in the firs. High in the mountains are pastures for the wild goats in the rocks form a refuge for rock badgers. You made the moon to mark the season and the sun to know when to set. God did all that. You send the darkness and it becomes night when all the forest animals prowl about. Then the young lions roar for their food, but they are dependent on God. And at dawn, they slink back into their dens to rest and then people go off to their work. They labor until the evening shadows fall again. Oh, Lord, what a variety of things you have made. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the ocean, vast and wide, teeming with life of every kind, both great and small. See the ships sailing along and lithan, and which you made to play in the sea. And every one of these depends on you to give them their food as they need it. And when you supply it, they gather it. You open your hands to feed them. Who knows, that might be these giant whales and sea creatures, and they are satisfied. But if you turned away from them, they panic. When you take away their breath, they die and turn again to dust. This is talking about the animal kingdom. And when you send your spirit, new life is born to replenish all the living on the earth. May the glory of the Lord last forever. The Lord rejoices in all that he has made. The earth trembles at his glance. The mountains burst into flames at his touch. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God with my last breath. You are worthy, almighty God. I will praise my God with my last breath. May he be pleased by all these thoughts about him. And I'm sure God is pleased when you and I think about him. For I rejoice in the Lord. And let all sinners vanish from the face of the earth. Let the wicked disappear forever. As for me, I will praise the Lord. Praise the Lord! Exclamation mark. He who has God, you got all you'll ever need. Who he who has him not has less than nothing. Do you have God in your life? That's what we need. We need the Jesus factor. That's what changes our life. It makes it worthwhile. Here and in the world to come. Do you have Jesus in your life right now? Going through the coronavirus and who knows what's ahead of that. But I'm going to tell you for God, you're going to be okay. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. He loves you. And then one day, as we just close our eyes for a moment and then open them and we're in heaven with him, and what he's got in store for us there is just absolutely, fantastically amazing. The colors and the smells and the creatures that he has there for us is just absolutely amazing. And all of our loved ones who've gone on before us. Do you know this God I'm talking about? Do you know Jesus in a personal way? If not, I'd like you to join me as we pray right now. And if you do know him, would you, would you pray with us and just reaffirm your faith? as others right this moment are going to declare Jesus Christ as your Savior with us right now as we pray. So wherever you're at, whether you're in this room, whether you're in your home, in a motel room, wherever it might be, would you pray? If you're comfortable with that, 
Pray out loud. If not, you can pray quietly. That's okay. That works. Just pray with me, if you would. Would you join me? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. And that's why you sent your son, Jesus. I believe that Jesus gave his life. And he paid for all my sins. And then he rose from the dead. And he's knocking at the door of my heart. And I open the door of my heart. And I welcome Jesus into my life. And I look forward one day to seeing him face to face. Thank you, almighty God, for loving me and making a way for me. I declare that Jesus is my Savior and I shall live my life for him. In Jesus' name.